0: Hi, my name is Dan Merrick, and welcome to our office hours, or Ask Me Anything, about chef-related food. Um, my name is Dan Merrick. So I am Ruby's Director of Plant-Based Culinary and Development. I'll be answering all of your questions today about anything plant-based culinary. Uh, I've been in the plant-based space for about 25 years now. Um, In the uh, last year, I've been the director of plant-based culinary for Ruby. Before that, I actually came from Whole Foods Market, uh, where I worked for um, Whole Kids Foundation, really working towards getting kids to understand nutrition and what real food is and where their food actually comes from. Before that, I was uh, I did recipe testing and ran uh, a venue and was a healthy eating specialist at the flagship store of Whole Foods Market, uh, Lamar in Austin, Texas, where I still live today. So let's get to some of our questions today. So Diana has a question here, dear Chef Merrick: Will Ruby providing us with the opportunity uh, or the process of making vegan butter and seitan from scratch? Also, there are many comments that Satan is an unhealthy protein being highly processed. Is this a myth? Internet is confusing. So actually, yeah, depending on the course that you're doing, um, we do a vegan butter and a seitan from scratch. The uh, plant-based professional class has a vegan butter um, that I actually came up with and did a film of. So you can see, uh, you can actually see how you make it live. We actually have a seitan um, version in there as well. We have a couple different versions. We have one that is like a braising roast, which is really nice. It uh, makes a sliceable kind of almost like a brisket. Um, and the other one is a sausage, which is actually really nice that you can add different flavor profiles to and use those for, uh, like an Italian style sausage, but both of them really nice as well. Um, seitan being an unhealthy, um, because it's processed. So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a processed ingredient. What you're doing is taking the gluten out of wheat. So you're just basically taking all the gluten out of it and making it into, um, you know, something that's very kind of dense. Um, and a lot of people say that's not really that healthy for you. So a lot of people have gluten and, uh, gluten sensitivities. This is something they would have to stay completely away from because it's basically a hundred percent that, um, now a lot of people say it's not, um, you know, it's not bad for you, but again, in moderation is probably the best way to do that. I know I'll have seitan every so often, but I don't eat it very regularly. And if I eat too much of it, um, I can usually feel it in my gut afterward. So, um, you know, I think that it's a great product. And it's something especially for people that are trying to make that conversion over um, from meat into a more plant-based style. I think it's a great thing to be able to use for that as well. But it is still a processed ingredient. Um, So more often than not, when I'm cooking at my table, I'm going to be using vegetables instead of a seitan. So I'll be doing like a mushroom, um, you know, version of something to get that kind of meaty like texture, either by using something like a portabella or a maitake or a shiitake as well or nice ones in there. Um, And I'll also use things like trumpet mushrooms. Uh, to be able to do other kind of meat-like consistencies. All great options. And seitan's a wonderful thing. We do show you how to be able to do it, to be able to get that nice sliceable one, and to be able to do a sausage. Both are great, but it's not something I would include on your daily, um, you know, diet uh, to, to be able to start off with that, so. Um, that's a great question. Looks like we have another one from you, Diana. Um, big thanks to answering our questions. Much appreciated. Of course, anytime I've tred- tried, many vegan butters and have not found one without preservatives or a fair cost. Would you have a vegan butter recipe? One that is without coconut oil. Um, so we do have a couple vegan butters. It's the roasted garlic and onion butter. Um, And it's actually a really pretty easy recipe where it's basically, um, garlic and onion and vegetable stock with some other herbs. I think it's like thyme and black pepper. Um, and you basically roast those in the oven at 400 degrees. It's a pretty simple recipe. Um, and then you also take soaked cashews and take them out and then blend them up with some dairy milk and then combine the two, um, the two different sets there. Now it's not like your traditional, you know, uh, you know like a miyoko's butter or something like that um or even some of the other you know oil based butters it's definitely a little bit different um we have one of those too, like i mentioned in plants plus and plant-based pro we have one that is made out of coconut oil that's definitely going to be more like your traditional butter but um you know that's the thing about butter is it's all fat uh, if it's dairy or if it's not. So typically, you're to get that much fat out of it, um, you're going to use an oil of some sort to be able to get that spreadability. Now, this garlic and onion butter doesn't have the oil in it, which is great, and it uses the cashews for the fat as well. And then you're getting a different kind of a flavor profile because you're using your onions and garlic. So that is to be said, it's not like something you're going to be putting on I don't know, like something sweet or something like that, but it is a great savory option for breads using that garlic butter as well. So um, I would check out that recipe. It's definitely a great one. It's been well tested over time, and Ruby grads love that one too. All right, our next one also from Diana. with Ruby highlighting the health importance of cooking with no oil, I love cooking French crepes. Uh, one cup of whole spelt flour to two cups of unsweetened soy. All historical recipes call to use butter or oil. How can we cook without? Much gratitude. So that's actually a great point. Um, you know, French crepes are one of those uh, things that are a little hard to do without using oil or butter to be able to help make the nonstick surface. So there are a couple things that you can do. Um, and. One of them is get a really, really good nonstick pan or use a very well seasoned pan. Um, You know, so both of those things are probably going to be your best bet. I've I've not had a whole lot of success doing it without oil, um, you know, doing crepes because they typically stick pretty quickly and pretty easily uh, to the pan. Uh, If you're using, um, you know, like an iron skillet or something like that, using the a very well-seasoned one would probably help a little bit, but you do have to remember that a lot of that seasoning is coming from an oil, um, basically from cooking um, on it for years. What I typically will do personally is I will actually take a non-stick pan and spray it with oil and then take a paper towel and wipe the inside out so I don't have an excess of oil. I'm not creating an overbalance of calories in it, but I'm still creating a very non-stick surface. Now, you you can do that and you can probably, you know, cook uh, maybe two or three crepes, but you'll probably have to do it again to be because it'll soak up any of the uh, residue oil that's on there. So crepe's definitely going to be a little hard to not stick to a pan unless you have a very good non-stick pan um, or a very well-seasoned one as well. So I hope that helps, Diana. All right. Um, it looks like I have another one from Diana here, and it's also asking about the, the butter without coconut oil. Uh, will it show us how to make it from scratch? Yes, it will. Uh, that's the recipe that was linked uh, above for the um, the garlic and onion butter. Is the one that's the no oil version, but again, it is not. Uh, it's a savory butter to be able to go with that. So it almost has like an herb kind of taste to it, but unbelievably tasty one too. All right. Mary Ellen, with, gr- with grilling season arriving, I'm curious, what are your favorite plant-based things to grill and how do you best grill using no oil? Or is there a time when just a little oil is worth to really improve the flavor? Um, so yes, I actually love grilling vegetables. One of my biggest tips that I tell people is don't oil the vegetables, oil the grill. Um, and why, it's kind of the same thing with the crepe. What you're doing is making a nonstick surface on your grill. So what I'll do is I'll take a little bit of oil put it onto a paper towel and then use tongs to wipe down the grill just to make sure that, that the grill top surface is uh, has a little bit of oil on it, but it's basically making it a non-stick surface and it won't stick as, as much. Now, a lot of that oil is going to burn off as you're cooking, which is great because it's not going right directly onto your vegetables. Some of my favorite things to grill, corn, corn in the cob is definitely one of my top ones. I also love to do eggplant. Um, eggplant I actually do quite often to make baba ganoush just because it has that nice smoky flavor to it so what I'll do is just put slice them in half and put them upside down Um, well I guess face side down the cut side down onto the grill and then let that cook and almost char and the inside will just come scoop right out and you can uh, mix that with some tahini and garlic and it makes a great baba ganoush, so, so good. Um, but yeah, corn on the cob is definitely one of my favorites. Other kind of staples like zucchini, I like to do things sometimes sweet too, like pineapple or mango are wonderful additions to be able to put on the grill. And that like nice smokiness actually adds a really, really good flavor profile. It starts to caramelize some of the natural sugars in those fruits. So you get an entirely different effect. So it's really, really wonderful. Um, but yeah, so those are some of my favorites, um, to be able to do that. And the oil, you know, again, just lightly coating the grill, um, panels with oil and very, very light touch. I think is probably the best way to make sure it's not going to stick. I hope that helps. All right, Bernadette, uh, what would you recommend as a substitute for coconut milk? You're allergic to it. And I want a whole foods. I want to the whole foods cookbook. Um, Thank you. So, uh, let's see if you look, if you're looking for an, uh, a substitute for coconut milk, that really kind of depends on what you're cooking. Um, you know, a lot of times coconut milks are used in things like curries, um, you know, and some Thai dishes and things like that as well. Now, if you're looking to be able to cook into that, I would just kind of recommend taking your sauce and a little bit, different direction um you know uh what you're kind of looking for in that is a little bit of the fat but a lot of the liquid as well so doing a vegetable stock and maybe a combination with something that has like a like a nut butter or something like that would be really good. Either a peanut or a cashew or something like that it might be a nice combination to be able to get the fat that you're looking for out of something. Um, you know, peanut is definitely going to have a stronger flavor. So if you're looking for something that has a little less flavor, something maybe like the, the cashew or macadamia nut might be a nice version. And what you would do is basically soak the cashews or the macadamia nuts overnight. Macadamia nuts can take a little bit longer. Um, but then after they're soaked overnight, you can put them into a high-speed blender under a little bit of water and turn them into a paste, which is really nice. to be able to use in a host of different things. We do a cashew bechamel through Ruby, doing that same kind of a process. Um, But if you're looking to do something like a curry or something like that, that could actually be a nice, uh, you know, other kind of a take or a different spin on that. If you're using coconut milk for other things, as far as like, I've seen people use it for creamers or for other kinds of milk, you can also substitute out something like an almond milk or a soy milk to be able to make that same effect happen. In fact, almond milk might actually be a good substitute in those curries as well. Just because it's been, um, you know, it's a little bit easier to be able to get into. But otherwise, soaking the, the nuts overnight, breaking them down with a, a high, uh, high process or high-powered um, blender um, would probably be my best bet to be able to replace those in something like a curry. Hope that helps, Bernadette. David, do you have a favorite plant-based protein to eat and to work with, and if so, why? Hmm. That's I. St- You know, as far as favorites go, I switch it up quite often. You know, my family definitely does tofu pretty regularly and I do it in very vast amounts of ways. For lunch today, I had uh, tofu on a Caesar salad that I had made. Um, It was, uh, and it had tofu in it in two different ways. Actually, the dressing was uh, silken tofu that I had added some kelp granules and garlic to, uh, and some apple cider vinegar Um, And just literally kind of made it up off the top of my head, but basically made, uh, you know, a Caesar type dressing. And then um, I also did like a Greek tofu um, as like a feta instead. So I cubed the feta um, and then marinated it in lemon juice with oregano, um, a little bit of water and garlic, a little bit of salt and black pepper uh, to be a nutritional yeast and made that as kind of my brine. And then let the tofu soak overnight. It was a firm tofu. And it holds up really, really well as a feta. So that's actually a great a couple of ways to be able to use tofu, but I also do things like tempeh quite often as well. And when I'm using tempeh, I typically boil the tempeh before uh, doing anything with it. And then I'll cut it up into the slices or the chunks that I want to, and then cook it with, um, you know, and I'll do that in a host of different ways on tempeh as well, where you can slice it up to be able to put into sandwiches um, or to put them into curries. I do a lot of different things with those kinds of proteins as well. Now, outside of that, I actually, you know, um, for that main dish ish i typically go for mushrooms quite often um you know and it it's not as your protein you know so much but it uh you know you get a lot of the umami flavor that you're looking to be able to get out of the mushrooms so those are something that are on my plate almost every single dish um, outside of those i'll actually go for quinoa quite often as well just because it's a nice kind of alternative to rice using um, you know a different grain that actually has the protein in it um, it's something that the kids can get you know wrap their heads around pretty easily too but those are probably the ones that i use the most are quinoa tofu and tempeh and tofu is probably the one i use more often than the other ones hope that helps david um let's see jw will i have access to this course after the june deadline i haven't been able to keep up but i do want to complete the course after the deadline is that possible so, uh, depending on what course you're in, um, you know, you do have, I mean, you, you, pretty much everybody has lifetime access to their course content. Um, you know, this sounds like something you might want to c- contact support with. So I would email support at ruby.com to be able to get your exact, uh, um, um, exactly your, your your scenario but kind of just a general answer from our support would be that after you graduate um your or your 30 days expire whichever comes first uh, the only areas locked will be quizzes instructor graded assignments um, and the question and support function other than that you'll still have all the lessons the recipes etc to review at your leisure um, if you've not completed the program by the deadline and decide to com- complete your certificate at some point you can also put purchase an extension. Um, And you can do that just by going to your dashboard, locate your course, and then uh, click the need more time link. Um, And you'll actually be able to buy a 30-day extension depending on the course. I think it's, if it's forks over knives, it's, I I can't remember the exact price on it, but that's probably what I would do. But for your specific individual purpose, contact support at ruby.com and they can give you more detail on your unique situation. All right, Carol, thank you Dan for your service to our community and advancing the health of our children. Thank you very much, I love doing that. Uh, I completed the Ruby plant-based program and my goal is to impact families for greater health. Can you give a couple suggestions as how to begin that journey? That's wonderful that you've chosen to do that, Carol. I think that one of the best ways that you can really help uh, you know, is to go into your local community, people that you actually know pretty well to be able to uh, kind of start that impact. Um now you can ask in your direct community if you have ways to be able to help uh you know children's Um, Areas either through after school programs or by doing some volunteer work. Um, I love to do things at like farmer's markets to be able to get get kids to explore vegetables and that way as well. I've done lots of cooking demos at farmer's markets too, where I'll do like a build a salad competition with kids. And then, um, you know, everybody makes their own salad and then picks out their own dressings to either make or to put on um, and see which one's the best one out of a tasting or something like that. Um, But there are a host of different, ways to be able to make that happen. I think the best way to do it is to find what's comfortable for you and your community, to figure out how much time you can dedicate um, to, you know, being able to give back to those families as well. And if you're really full on, go for an organization that does it full time. So I did that for years. I did that for eight years at Whole Kids Foundation, or I directly, uh, you know, I worked full time at a job, Uh, really trying to change or move the needle a little bit on school nutrition and really trying to get kids to understand nutrition a little bit better um, and emphasizing fruits and vegetables and trying to get kids to eat more plants. Um, Now, there are a host of different organizations out there like that, like Whole Kids Foundation from the Humane Society has a wonderful program where they're teaching. um, You know, a lot of different um, universities uh, also deploy depend on RDs um, to be able to help do some of that work. So there's always opportunities to help some registered dietitians on um, doing some cooking demos and things like that as well too. So there's really a host of different ways to be able to help in your community, Um, but everybody's community is very unique and different to them. So I would probably ask your friends uh, that you you trust uh, around you to be able to kind of get a start with that, or maybe even look through some different groups and meetup groups that might be able to help you in the local level too. And then definitely check out some local farms, local farmers markets, and CSA programs, community supported agriculture programs. All of those are great places to be able to uh, start, you know, kind of working with food a lot more. Um, You might also want to look at some different soup kitchens or some different organizations that help kids directly in after school programs, or uh, being able to help supply food for some of those as well. But that's great. I really commend you for doing that, Carol. It's, uh, it's a lifelong journey and a lot of fun. Um, you get a lot out of that. So, congratulations and have fun uh, after graduating the class. So speaking of graduating, Heather, I just graduated today. Congratulations. Uh, can I add my professional plant based certification badge to my personal chef business website? You absolutely can. Um, you know, you can get the Credly badge that we have. Uh, the Credly badge is a wonderful way to be able to do that. It's a nice little badge that you can put right up onto your uh, website or your LinkedIn or your Facebook or anything like that as well, too. Um, you know, as far as the certif- the certification, you know, the actual, uh, you know, certificate, you might not want to put that on your webpage, but you are more than welcome to if you want to. I think the badge is actually a really good way to be able to show that off though. Um, And if you're looking for ways to be able to do that, uh, it should be probably one of the last links on your class, or you can email Randall um, with two L's at ruby.com or support at ruby.com and uh, we can help you get that badge for you. But congratulations, Heather. Uh, Welcome to the plant-based community. So, uh, Aaron, given your past experience in grocery industry with whole foods, what trends or changes do you see in ready to eat food segments? Or could you share a little more about your experience in the Austin, Texas market? Yeah. So, uh, in Austin, Texas, it's been an amazing journey. You know, uh, I moved to Austin 17 or 18 years ago and, um, been, you know, been plant-based that entire time. So, uh, it's, totally, um, you know, it's definitely been something that has evolved through the years, but it's also been nice because you, we have seen a lot of kind of ups and downs in the plant-based communities. Um, so we'll see different, you know, some restaurants like Casa Lutz have been here forever and hopefully they will be here forever, which really focuses on macrobiotic you know vegan food, which is wonderful. Uh, we used to have a couple raw restaurants like Beets um, that, unfortunately, are no longer around, but were a great resource for the community. And now we see different uh, pubs like the Beer Plant that are popping up, and some under other just wonderful like food trucks and things like that as well. So uh, we're seeing a lot of plant-based um, you know options in Austin, and have always had a pretty regular um, you know. Uh, appearance of plant-based, specifically plant-based restaurants, which is great. Um, The other thing is you see that there's a lot of plant-based items on all the recipes in Austin, or in all the restaurants in Austin, which is really great. Now, as far as food trends uh, and ready-to-eat foods, especially in the grocery industry, that's something that's changed a lot, too. You know, um, before, you know, when I first started this and um you know we were talking with forks over knives the other day uh it was pretty much impossible to find ready to go foods uh that fit the whole food plant-based lifestyle and now you're able to find it all over the place forks over knives even has uh like meals that you can buy in the the frozen section to be able to go engine two has tons of different products like that as well too but on ready to eat foods you'll see a lot more on grocery shelves um that are plant-based uh and ready to go which is nice now as far as trends on that you'll see a lot of different things um, more recently in the past couple of years we've seen a lot of kind of meal kits where they'll you'll be able to kind of buy the things to be able to assemble a meal in less than 10 minutes when you get home which is great i always recommend people do that it's kind of like making your own mise en place at home um, so you can do that as well but you, we did see a lot of the kind of meal kit plans that were happening at grocery stores um, and a lot of uh, made right here items instead of having, uh, you know, a commissary kitchen or somewhere, somewhere else and then bringing it all to the grocery store, making it at the grocery store, which is nice because it's fresh and you know that the employees there have actually made it. Um, All the dates and everything are correct on them as well, but really going for that made right here, fresh and local, I think are probably some of the bigger, um, you know, things that I always try to go for on trends, but there you'll see a lot of the meal kits are actually a big popular one as well too, because people just don't have the time to do the prep themselves, but they might want to do a little bit of cooking to be able to continue that as well too. But as far as, uh, you know, ready to eat foods in that segment, there's, it's always blossoming and growing, and there's a lot of different things happening in it. Um, the whole food plant-based, you know, for forks, you know, we still see a lot of things with oil in them. Um, not specifically for forks, but if you're on the forks plan, um, a lot of the grocery stores still have oil in them. So make sure to read the labels on anything you're, getting as well, too. But I hope that helps. Um, Bernadette, uh, I want to make your recipe sog. Oh, and tofu paneer without the coconut milk. Sorry, this got left out of my question. So you were talking about the Whole Foods uh, cookbook uh, that's actually behind me here, um, that one of my recipes is in. Uh, and you want to do the sog paneer with tofu. So um, and the, I do have you marinate the tofu in coconut milk with nutritional yeast and a couple of other spices. I think it was, I um, can't remember all the spices, but um, if you're going to leave that out on the sog paneer and tofu, that's fine. So what I would do is just do a, a marinade of the tofu. Um, and just leave out the coconut milk. Uh, You could do an almond milk would actually still get that kind of nice creamy, um, you know, texture that you're looking for. Um, And then do nutritional yeast and maybe a couple of other spices I recommended in that one. Um, I'm not 100% sure what the other ones, I think it was, well, I'll leave it to you to remember. But I do remember that there was nutritional yeast, probably a little bit of salt, because uh, paneer is salty. Um, but that has been a stand-up recipe, you know, for years for me. In fact, John Mackey asked me to contribute to that book and that was one of the ones that I used I used to be a personal chef for him. So that was one that he wanted in that book all the time because he loves making it himself too. But um so yeah, instead of doing the coconut milk, try an almond milk um to soak the tofu in, just mix in your nutritional yeast and a little bit of salt to be able to get that little cheesy kind of flavor and texture into it and it'll soak some of the fat up from the almond milk as well. I'd probably recommend doing that overnight too just to make sure it soaks up really well. Maybe press the tofu beforehand too so when it presses all the liquid out, it'll soak up all the almond milk to get that um, naturally fatty kind of uh, texture to it as well. Hope that helps, Bernadette, and uh, happy reading with that one. It's a fun book. The Sarno brothers actually helped a lot of the recipes with that as well. Um, So Patty, uh, what is back slicing chives? I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Let me just do a quick search here. Uh, yeah, backslicing slicing chives doesn't come up on anything for me. Um, so I'm not 100% sure what to answer there, Patty. Um, there are a couple different ways that I know to slice chives. One of them is cutting them at like a 45 degree angle to be able to get like, a, you know, the green kind of like nice triangle looks that you can get on them. Um, You know, the other one is to be able to slice them down the center uh, and then put them into an ice water so they curl up really nice. And you can use them as kind of additions to the top of dishes as well. And then just traditional slicing um, that I know of. But uh, I'm not really familiar with the back slicing of chives. um, But if somebody does know, you can always write it into the question queue here and we can answer Patty, too. Um, Sorry, I can't answer that better for you. All right. So Omar, hi, I've got young kids, five and three, very attached to processed food suggestions to help them move away from that. So that's actually great. I actually have a four and two year old. So it looks like we're right a year ahead there. The best thing I can say is to keep trying everything. I mean, all the time, give them vegetables. And I mean like raw vegetables that you just cut up like crudite. Um, You know, and the thing about kids is they're not going to like it every single time. So I would just keep trying them. Um, My kids will now, you know, do like cucumbers and carrots and they'll even do broccoli, you know, but uh, it took a long time to be able to get them to it. Like they're not just typically going to eat raw broccoli, I do kind of a parboil on it. So it has a little bit of crunch to it and then take it out and put it into an ice bath. So it's easy for them to be able to chew and digest as well too. But um, the biggest advice I can give you on getting kids to be able to eat more vegetables is have them try it. And often your tongue completely re does itself, you know, uh, every seven days. So if you, I would say if you try to like stop eating salt like 100% no sodium for seven days. If you went to your favorite, you know, vegan shop and got your french fries the day before and then you know seven days later without going without any sodium you tried the same french fries they would be unbelievably too salty for you because your tongue completely regenerates in seven days and your flavor profiles will change that same thing happens with kids they're going to completely be rejuvenating their taste buds all the time so uh my biggest suggestion is to be able to have them try it i do it all the time with my kids at the table like they're like i don't want to i don't want that i don't like it and i'm like. Well, you haven't tried it. If you just try it and you don't like it, you can spit in my hand. That's fine, and that, I do that all the time. And they get a, kick, a little bit of a kick out of that, but half the time they're like, "Hmm, that's really good." Um, and even for things that they've tried before that they didn't like. So I think the biggest thing you can do is be able to keep trying on things. Um, let them see you eat them too. You know, because if you're just giving you know the kids something that you're not going to eat, that's not going to work as well. Look for replacements um, on the flavor profiles too. So, you know, if they're looking for something that's really processed like chips, look for something that's got a little bit of crisp to it. You know, maybe add a little bit of lime juice to get a little bit of, you know, the kind of the perk or the, you know, the seasonings that they're looking for. Um, I know a teacher in a grade school that I was helping with whole kids that was looking for a replacement for Takis. And the reason that the kids in her class were so into Takis was because they were really bitter and really spicy. So she started doing uh, jicama um, with lime juice and cayenne pepper, and it totally sought the need for the kids looking for that really sour, bitter, and spicy, right? So it worked really well. Did they stop eating Takis 100% of the time? No, but they weren't eating them as much as they were before too. So my best advice, advice Omar, is to be able to keep trying with the fruits and vegetables uh, as often as possible. And even if they say they don't like it, try it again. A month later, it's it's totally okay. Give it a shot. And if they don't like it, you have to be okay with it too. Um, there are lots of things even adults don't like, and there's reasons for it. And that's totally okay. Um, but even as adults, I recommend that we keep trying things over and over unless you have some sort of allergy, of course. All right, Gloria, good afternoon, chef. I have arthritis in my hand and notice lately it's causing problems when lifting my heavy pot. Can you recommend pots and fry pans that are good quality and light and weight? Ah, huh, um, you know, that I don't have a specific brand on that. Um, I do have pots that are very heavy, and I have ones that are very light. And typically the ones that are really light are actually going to be my aluminum pans, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I usually like to have steel uh, pans or copper, you know, uh, in the bottom and then steel on the top, because that way... Uh, the heat works really well for them. Um, but I think my lightest pants are actually aluminum made and I'm not, a, I don't usually recommend people to have aluminum pans unless it's of course a, the same way it's a copper on the bottom and the steel on the top. If you could do the aluminum on the bottom, and the steel on the top, that would probably help with your weight wise. But aluminum tends to bleed into food a little bit if it has direct contact with. So I typically don't recommend doing that, but that might be something to be able to try, um, you know, or, if you're looking for something with like a nonstick surface you can still have the aluminum and then the nonstick surface is painted basically over the top my My big thing with nonstick pans, though, is if you get a scratch on it, it's pretty much done. So don't spend tons and tons of money on nonstick pans. Um, It used to be like some of the brands would have like lifetime guarantees, but even those nowadays, uh, if it's a nonstick, they don't give a lifetime guarantee. So don't spend a ton of money on nonstick. I actually buy my nonstick pans at a restaurant supply store. They are aluminum, but the aluminum doesn't bleed through the nonstick surface, so it definitely makes for a lighter pan. Um, I hope that helps a little bit. I wish I had a more definitive answer for you, but that's probably be my biggest recommendation um, just because aluminum is so light. Uh, Debbie. Hi, chef. I purchased a medium sized Excalibur dehydrator fun and it doesn't truly fit in my kitchen too well. My question is this, how frequently do you use a dehydrator and is it worth keeping? Thanks. Oh, Debbie running into the, de- the dehydrator problem. Um, Excaliburs are great. I used to have the really big Excalibur, you know, and it was wonderful. Um, I, you know, uh, lost it in a relationship, I think. Um, but luckily I got, I married a woman who had one and, uh, it's a different one. It's not an Excalibur, uh, but it was much smaller. And I actually love that because I don't use a dehydrator a ton, but some people do, especially when I was doing catering, I used it a lot more um, especially the Excalibur version, because I would be doing all kinds of like raw chips or crackers or, you know, raw tacos, all kinds of fun things that you can do with those. Um, you know, same with the, like the fruits and stuff like that, wonderful things to be able to make with dehydrators. So it really depends on you. In fact, we are cooking raw kale chips, I think right now in our dehydrator. Um, You know, so it really depends on some of the things you eat. Like if you're, you know, like our family loves kale chips, so we make them pretty darn regularly, Um, you know, and it's probably once every, you know, once we kind of get in the methods of it, it's probably every couple of weeks. But there's also like months at a time, like six months at a time where we never even get it out. Uh, I know Chef Barton just uh, shared something on his garlic live event that you can always search on the live events here about dehydrating garlic for like months to be able to make a black garlic, which is pretty cool. Um, and that's like a natural fermentation process. So there are a lot of fun things to do with dehydrators. The Excalibur is kind of big, but it is one of the best on the market. Um, now you can, of course, just uh, go down in size on your dehydrator. And that's basically what we did is we went with a smaller version. Um, I can't do as much, so I'm not doing my catering out of it, but I'm not really doing my catering anymore. So that's totally fine. But that is a complete personal preference to you, Debbie. Um, and I hope it works out for you. Uh, or you find another place to be able to put it doesn't always have to be in your kitchen counter too. You can store it somewhere and then bring it out when you're needing it. So hope that helps Debbie. All right, Claude. Uh, hello, chef Merrick. Do you have any tips on how to use aquafaba and salad vinaigrettes? Yeah, actually that's a wonderful way to be able to use aquafaba. It's actually, it's a wonderful thickener, um, and can, you know, uh, thicken up a lot of things as well too. So Um, that's typically where I'm going to use it is if I'm making a vinaigrette and I'm not going to use the oil, which is a natural emulsifier, the aquafaba is actually a great alternative to be able to do that. So if you're making just a simple vinaigrette, let's just say a balsamic vinaigrette, you put your balsamic in, you put your uh, aquafaba in, you don't have to use a ton of the aquafaba, but the aquafaba, maybe a little bit of water and then your herbs, depending on what you're doing. I also like to do uh, fruit sometimes like dried fruits. Um, so, I will actually blend all of that together in a high speed blender, and you'll see that it will uh, emulsify because of the aquafaba, and you'll get like nice kind of uh, bubbles that will capture all the different flavors in those. So, you can still do that without using any oil, which would typically be your emulsifier. So, a wonderful way to be able to, to make uh, oil free vinaigrette. So, just a little bit of water, your uh, vinegar. different herbs or fruits or whatever you want to be able to put into it Um, and it thickens it up really really nice so instead of having a vinaigrette just pour out like a water it'll actually pour out like a thicker you know uh, like a even like a ranch or something like that where it has that thicker consistency to it all right uh patty can you any offer any suggestions on how to use mushroom powder one of my favorite ingredients that i never i always have it in my pantry so for those of you who don't know what mushroom powder is it's uh, dried mushrooms and you put it into a blender until everything's powder basically Uh, i do a a kind of couple different mixes like you know so i'll actually use like a shiitake and a button the cremini And depending on if, you know, sometimes I might do a shiitake. Sometimes those are a little overwhelming. Um, But you end up blending the whole thing up and you have this nice little powder that you can use for a host of different things. And I use it as an umami enhancer, you know. So in a lot of ways that people that cook meat would, you know, cook like, meat in a pan and then leave the juices from the meat in the pan that's kind of like what you're doing with the mushroom powders you're adding umami to other dishes now with mushroom powder you still have to rehydrate the mushroom to be able to do it so i'll often use it in soups or sauces But I'm not going to use it raw over something because, quite honestly, it's kind of a funky smell, too. It's kind of a weird smell when it's just a dried, uh, you know, mushroom on its own. But if you have something that you can kind of melt the powder down into, it's a great way to add nice hints of umami into something. Or if you're doing something like a dashi or like a mushroom broth, a wonderful way to be able to add lots of umami and a huge mushroom flavor to something as well, too. I use it in a host of different ways to be able to add just a nice, more complex flavor to something um, that really kind of rounds out the palate really well. So putting like a fat and an acid with that umami from the mushroom powder and all all those things combined in there really help create a depth of flavor in many, many meals. But again, wouldn't use it on anything that I, I couldn't melt it down into. So you wouldn't put it onto like a salad or something like that. Um, but yeah, great, great product, uh, mushroom powder, easy to make and lasts forever too, which is wonderful. Thanks for the question, Patty. Marcy. Hello, chef Dan. Thank you for doing these live events. Uh, have you made silken tofu suggestions? I have a hard time uh, sourcing organic silken tofu with my suppliers and I'm looking to making myself. You know, Marcy, that is not something I have done. In fact, my uh, four-year-old wants us to start making tofu. I have seen the process. I've seen how to do it, but I've never made it myself. Um, and it's a little bit of a messy business, you know, right? So, um, but you're basically, uh, you know, cutting down the the edamame, um, you know, and you're going to float it in the water. There's a whole process to it, but um, probably a bit too much to, to go into now. And since I've never done it firsthand, I don't want to lead you down the road too much, but uh, I would love to be able to see follow-up on that. If you are making some tofu, silken tofu at home, please hit us up on our social media account so we can see that, put it on our Instagram or uh, just tag us in it or something like that, because uh, that's that's wonderful. Totally want to be able to do it. Have not uh, made that jump yet into it though, but great product to be able to start making. Um all right so Lynn what about anodized aluminum pans is that safe to use um i'm not 100% sure on that Lynn uh you know on aluminum pans it's it's kind of been one of those things like every most restaurants use aluminum pans it's something that we all come, come into contact quite often with uh the reason they use them in most restaurants as they're light and they're affordable. Um, you know, but, uh, I have heard for a long time that aluminum pans are not the best because they do leak, uh, some chemicals into your food. Um, so the different process to them, I'm sure there are processes that they've come up with to be able to make them safer. Um, but the issue that I have with them is just like the nonstick. Once that coating starts to kind of come off a little bit, that kind of kind of get into your food. So um, I'd have to do a little bit more research on anodized aluminum to tell you the truth, Lynn. I don't want to steer you one way or the other. If it's the pans that you're using now, um, that's okay. I mean, don't go out and buy all new pans just because I'm like, Dan, Dan Merrick doesn't like aluminum pans. Don't do that. Um, do a little bit of research on them, see what works best for you. And if it's specifically around the weight and lifting on them, there might be other alternatives like ceramic out there too that you might want to invest in. I hope that helps. Um, L, uh, that is Canadian or U.S. glass companies making pans and pots heavy metal free. Um, I heard new reports of leaching even from steel. Iron is associated with Alzheimer's uh, Association after the doctor told me to use it daily for uh, over two years. It's hard to find glass companies. Yeah, so there are... um, i don't i don't know of any uh the glass companies making those heavy uh pans like you know like a saute pan i mean i use kind of things like pyrex all the time i have heard things about the iron associated with alzheimer's disease but uh i haven't seen any reports directly you know from that and i have heard about steel leaching as well too so I guess we just can't cook, <laughs> um, you know? So there's, there's, you know, again, kind of picking your battles and seeing which one works best for you. If it is something that you're worried about, do a little bit of individual research to make sure that you're getting exactly, um, you're getting into what you want. I I use a combination of all of those things um, at, my, at my home personally. I use steel the majority of the time, but I use iron, I use non-stick, I use aluminum as well, you know, and I use glass baking dishes. Pretty much exclusively, um, you know. So there's a host of different things that I use on these too. Uh, so really, kind of you know, picking the worst enemy um, and getting rid of those ones, and um, you know, joining on the side you want is probably the best thing to do for that. Thanks for that comment uh valentina hello chef dan what would be the best egg replacement for gnocchi thanks i actually don't use egg in my gnocchi at all i just use potato and flour and it works wonderfully Uh, on the plant-based pro class and the the new plant-based pro class in the plants plus class i actually did a video on them uh, showing how you can make gnocchi just using flour and uh, potato and they work fantastically um i have seen other people use aquafaba in them to be able to hold up to it but honestly it depending on how wet your you know your potato is it it works fine without the the egg in it um you know so uh, aquafabo would probably be a close second but honestly i would just make it without because it works just fine the nice thing about doing the gnocchi with just the potato and the flour is you get that fine mix to see how close you are you know if it's like sticking to your hands you don't have enough flour in it Um, You know, if it's just kind of balled up and completely a ball, like you're probably using a little too much flour into it as well, too. So, Um, but yeah, for egg replacement and gnocchi, I would say just uh, don't use the egg. Lynn, um, I've been reading that hemp milk is nutritionally best to use. What do you think? Uh, Hemp milk does have a lot of great nutrients and there's a lot of great things in hemp um, for you. It does strip some of the things out of those and they might add a little bit in depending on the company. Um, but that's a personal preference as well too. So hemp milk is wonderful for nutrients a little bit more expensive, um, than some of the other ones, um, you know, but they're also like the almond milks, the soy milks, those are all things that they would add things into as well too, depending on the company. So that's again, a personal preference. Look at the nutrition label in the back to be able to see that you're getting the nutrients that you want to, and always of course, read the, uh, the ingredient label, if there's something in the ingredient label, you can't pronounce or your great grandmother's never heard of probably not the best whole food option for you but the nice thing is that hemp milk you can actually make pretty easily at home too by just using a high-speed blender and water and then uh, you know a sieve to be able to get out all the chunks if you need to. Um, uh, Oat milk is another one of those things that a lot of people like too. Um, There are pluses and minuses to all of those things though so um, you know but I have heard hemp milk being highly nutritious which is a great option to be able to have too. All right, Omar. uh, Another question here. Thanks for the answer. Another question. I love garlic, but heartburn. Any way to uh, cook with garlic that reduces its effect? Um, You know, that really depends on a bit of how much garlic. You know, Uh, raw garlic tends to be able to give heartburn heartburn a lot faster than cooked garlic. So make sure you're cooking with it. Um, You know, uh, I'm always mincing my down mine down really really small. Uh, don't add it right away into a dish, but um, make sure that you are adding it in maybe after you're caramelizing your onions or something like that, but just getting some of the, um, you know, make sure it's cooked a little bit with that. I've heard of people boiling garlic before adding it to dishes too, to be able to get some rid of some of the effects that are coming from that that might cause that. But that's probably the best way that I would say is make sure it's cooked beforehand. um, And then also maybe try the boiling trick before too. But thanks so much for your question, Omar. And thanks to everybody for all your questions today. Hopefully it's been uh, highly informative for you. And uh, happy cooking. And we'll see you at the next live event. Have a great day.